All right, Emily, you're you're in the thunder dome right now <laughs> because you admitted, you know, we'll let it slide, but that you've never listened to the to the pod before. That may be new to you, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> are you, are you ready? Because it's I, it's pretty it's pretty you know violent. About to get here real sometimes. here. Yeah. Uh, I hope so. Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> no, you'll do great. Um, but we're here with Emily McAteer. CEO and co-founder of Odyssey um, Energy Solutions, just raised a recent, very exciting $5.3 million seed round from Equal Ventures. So we're, we're both in the Equal family now, hanging with our buddy Rick Zullo, um, which we may or may not talk about later, but it's awesome. It's awesome to have you here. Thanks for, thanks for coming on. Thanks, guys. I'm, uh, I'm psyched to be here. All right. So we have a question that we always start which is pretty much the most important sort of thing to know about you, which is when did you get derpilled? Oh, great question. 2009. I, you know, I've, well, so I've, I've actually worked in, we call it climate tech now, but it was like, you know, clean tech back then. I've right. done that my whole career, but I was sort of looked, I was working on climate stuff from a policy angle when I was right out of undergrad. I was um, working on Wall Street at a financial risk management firm. And this was back when it looked like the Senate was going to pass cap and trade policy. And so we were helping institutional investors kind of analyze their portfolios on how that would be, how they'd be impacted by that. Um, that used to be like a really depressing thing to say, because it was like, and here we are, you know, more than a decade, almost two decades later, and we still don't have it. But at least we have some climate policy now. That right. Just got passed, like, a little <laughs> oh less depressing. God. Cap and trade. Yeah, remember that? <laughs> yeah, jeez. Yeah, it was. Remember we were we were like oh, carbon tax versus cap and trade, and now we're like anything. <laughs> just Senate, do something. Please. Do yeah. something. Well, we've really pivoted. We've pivoted to like big state capacity, like yeah. as opposed yeah. to like sort of neoliberal like like yeah 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 Yeah. like fine-tuning the machine yeah like just build (laughs) it yeah we were like markets aren't gonna work like we'll just throw money at it yeah yeah anyway um so yeah so that's sort of how i started my 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 journey but um got into distributed renewables when i went i went to hear a lecture uh in 2009 by uh regenda pachori who was the head of the un what is it un ipcc un PCC. I always forget that. Lots of C's. IPCC. IPCC. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. Um, I honestly have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> so he was he was, he was also running an organization in India called the Energy and Resources Institute, and they had this big campaign called Lighting a Billion Lives, which was about bringing small scale solar to rural communities in India. And I was like, oh man, this is like I want to go tackle this problem. This is so important, and you know, like the perfect kind of intersection of economic development and energy. And so I uh, applied for a Fulbright with them, with, with Terry as sort of the sponsor and went to India and started working on distributed renewables. And it was, oh you know, it was like very different kind That's of awesome. type of distributed renewables. And I think about now, cause it was, this was back like, I mean, it, it wasn't that long ago. It was like 12 years ago, but like the question then was like, how are we going to get, small like solar lights into these rural communities like mm-hmm. how are we gonna go yeah. from kerosene to like just a, a solar light and convince you know households that you know this is this is something that's going to provide them good good lighting obviously now the i'm focused on sort of bigger systems and more different types of power yeah you scaled lighting. up you're like people deserve more than just lights yeah they deserve it all yeah i i've taken a note that's a conversation i really want to get back into later on. I remember all these debates about like 
what grid do people deserve? And it was very like mm -hmm. all or nothing or it was interesting. So I want to come back to that. Also, another note there is a prior guest, Kieran from Arcadia. We asked him what the dopest and the nopest grid was. And he said India was the nopest. Hmm. as in like the worst <laughs> mm. i don't know if like you've actually it's an interesting question to ask you i haven't asked this one in a while but you've seen probably more grids than any like anyone we've talked to right like actual like experience mm -hmm. like working so i don't know i i i want to ask you the same question that what what are the dopest and the nopest grids to you well Let's start with the nopest because I focus all my my time on thinking about the nopest grids. Like, um, I mean, yeah, India. Um, we would often kind of go when I was a project developer building um, mini grids in India. We would um, we'd go into we'd we'd be like we'd go into a village and and be like, no, can't build a mini grid here because like the grid's already here. And by the grid being here, there would be like a pole up. Um, not even wires attached to the pole. So like clearly no power, but oh it had been like checked off as like electrified. Um, so that wasn't wow. great. <laughs> um, now the markets I focus on are, um, I would say our two biggest markets are Nigeria and South Africa. Um, I mean, we have this like interesting kind of meta experience at our company where we have a lot of our teammates in Nigeria focused on improving power quality through distributed renewables and like they spend half their time with the power out and like slacking being like i have to switch to my backup generator like i mean yeah wow. i read an article that the, oh the grid goes down like 50 percent of the time in nigeria so not not great um and then you know it's interesting like south africa is great there's a lot of as you know load shedding and and that you know everyone sort of expects that to continue for at least the next five years but it's it's interesting because it's like more organized like it's kind of like they've embraced the fact that mm -hmm. This is a problem, and there's a there's an app you can have where you know when the load shedding is going to happen. So at least there's like, hmm. you know, some knowledge about it. But it's still, I mean, it's it's still not not a great experience um, for people without backup. So is standard standard issue as a new employee at Odyssey like a little backup battery <laughs> so you can keep working? It's um, <laughs> kind of yeah. I mean, it's it's a constant like conversation topic in the company. Like, what can we provide some of our employees that work in these areas? Because oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. I I can already feel myself getting sucked down this rabbit hole. So I made we gotta. I know. We gotta, like, let's 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 pull out. Let's, let's get okay. But I, I just I am curious. Like I mean I feel really lucky that I live in the U.S. and always have great power. But I'm, what was what are the other dope dopest grids you've heard of? <laughs> well, usually it's within the U.S. I mean we are oh. pretty U.S. centric. That's actually why we're very excited about this okay. because <laughs> like we're not experts on grids abroad so you know usually we're bickering about like capacity markets or energy only oh, markets yeah, so yeah. someone's gonna say like yeah. you know Urcot, texas yeah. someone's gonna oh, say yeah. you know new york whatever you know my mind didn't even go that i'm like you're in the u.s you're great you get to turn on the yeah you're just you like want. you're not even thinking <laughs> you're like you're great you have yeah. power we're most like gonna time. get through this like, podcast you, no problem yeah it's <laughs> like what are you guys arguing about yeah <laughs> well one, um, one answer i have heard recently from the more international angle is Australia, South Australia being dopest because they're like three out of 10 households have solar. Yeah. They're like doing all kinds of crazy, you know, DER stuff. So maybe that's an answer. Yeah. All right. We're going to keep moving right. through here. What, what's your favorite dirt? Um, well, mini grids by far. That's where my heart is. <laughs> nice yeah. the whole the whole thing is that what are we, how, okay, important important yeah, question yeah, yeah. So, yeah 
And yeah, hard enough to define what a microgrid is. Yeah, this is how we became friends. <laughs> well, yeah. By the way, is Colleen like wrote articles on like what is a micro? <laughs> like no one could decide what a microgrid was <laughs> at yeah. the, in the GTM. Days. And I interviewed and I interviewed Duncan for it. So it's all all comes back to how we know each other. Yeah. So my, I mean, mini grids and microgrids like they're they're used interchangeably, but um, they're kind like I think the general distinction is that mini grids are are smaller and usually like just you that that term is used to describe um energy systems in places where there isn't existing power um so yeah like in you know in the markets where we work with the basically like a, a typical mini grid will be um a, a hundred to 500 kilowatts sometimes up to a system that's built in a community that doesn't have any existing power source isn't connected to the grid. It's um, solar storage and usually a backup diesel generator and a, dis- a small distribution network to households and businesses. Um, and yeah, powers the community. And oh, um, interesting. Yeah, that's so where it's I've spent literally. Most of time. It's like microgrid is usually like in the scale microgrid sense. Actually, is like one off taker, like big industrial, you know, operation or something. But your mini grid is actually multiple off takers. Yeah. So it's like a true kind of actual grid, which is that's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of the opposite of what we what we what we mean by microgrid in the US is yeah, one off taker grid connected and you're doing the reverse. It's like not a grid at all, actually. It's just like a system behind one customer. (laughs) But like mini grid is like actually a grid. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. It's a it's a small grid. you know, you have like 500 to 1,000 customers connected to it. Most of it's prepaid, so, so like cool. you have smart meters and you can pay, you know, customers pay from their phones and it sends power. Yeah. Oh, wild. So they can like control, like if you don't pay, your meter gets like shut down? No, it's prepaid. So it's not that the meter gets shut down. It's just like you pay, you pay for like a kilowatt hour of power or something. Um, it's like a cell phone plan yeah, or something. Exactly, like, like a cell like phone pay plan. pay as you go. Yeah, but what... It, yeah. Is that for like the full life of the system or just for like a moment in time? Um, yeah, it depends like exactly how it's set up. But like, yeah, you just pay for the next month or something and then you top up for the next month. Right. So if you don't pay, though, for a given month, like you're able to not send power to that particular home. Yep. That's what the smart meters are for. Yeah. They basically oh, unlock wild. the power. Yeah. That's I remember- so sick. When I was in South Africa, that just reminded me that, like we still had to, like even like the regular grid you prepaid, hmm. it was like which was wild. Hmm. I'm like just remembering that we had to do that. We were like very disorganized about it. I'm like that's my dopest grid. <laughs> what you just described. <laughs> I'm like you know, there's no utility, there's no franchise rights and stuff, guys. You know, it's just kind of like you pay and you get power and you can turn anything on and off. Isn't that what we talk about all the time? That's yeah. that's well, a dopest grid right there. <laughs> I mean, there is utility. It's just a, a private company, you know, right. owning and operating. Right. It. Yeah. I was like, we should come back to to how we think about that on like the ease of being able to turn people off because I think that's like one of the complicated things that's like actually very good about the U.S. where we like have a secret social safety net that we don't talk about a lot. But we're gonna put a pin in that one too. We're gonna yeah, we got a lot to come back to. This is great. Um. So what is the last job you want to have? You mean like before I die? <laughs> like, yeah. Like what you could be yeah, retired for like 40 that. years though. Like, you know, it doesn't have to be like <laughs> right before you die. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. Like it's, um, I was just thinking about this the other day with 
my executive coach because like I can't imagine doing anything different than what I'm doing now which is like both an amazing thing so I feel so blessed to like work on the thing I care so much about but it's also kind of like a scary thing because my identity is so wrapped up in this amen to that <laughs> but that, I mean that is the right answer if you're founding a company right like you have to be able to see yourself doing it literally forever otherwise like how do you how do you push through I guess yeah yeah, and if I weren't doing this, I would be doing some variant of it. Like I just, I'm trying to crack the nut of scaling distributed energy and emerging markets. Is like I just can't imagine not working on that. So yeah, because you yeah. were, you, I mean, it's you not were like a easy solve. It's not like oh, we're gonna no. figure it out in ten years and then it's check. <laughs> and you were working on that before, right? At, at SunPower, or it was right there, kind of sort of a. Uh, you know, developing market microgrid practice? Yeah, I, I, um, I've been doing it for a long time. I mean, as I mentioned, like I started, moved to India to work on this um, in, in 2009, 2010. Um, but yeah, I sort of got into what I do um, at Odyssey from work from launching what was called Sun Edison Frontier Power. So it was a subsidiary Sun of Sun Edison, Edison focused on building mini grids um, in, in microgrids in India and East Africa. That must have been a wild ride, Sun Ed, Sun Ed during the like crazy times. It was, yeah, it was fascinating. I, um, I mean, everything about it was a wild ride. Like building a frontier business from California in India and East Africa was amazing and crazy and, you know, spending lots of time in wild parts of the world. Um, and when I was at the home office kind of, learning lots about yield codes and what was going wrong with yield codes was fascinating. And especially like I was coming out of, I was just finished my MBA. So it was like, it was kind of like in my head writing the case study on Sun, on Sun Edison. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. Amazing experience. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. And also, you know, definitely a bummer because I think like it was so exciting to see a massive like renewable energy company ready to really invest and go big in the distributed energy space and, uh, and in mini grids. And, and they really believe that this was like the frontier um, the next, you know, stage of, of energy development and emerging markets. So it would have been awesome if we could have like rode that out. Although, um, we got to sort of take what we learned and build Odyssey from it. So, yeah. 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 I feel like a lot of like Sun Edison is the incubator of <laughs> many, many <laughs> companies now in different, different areas. So that's awesome. All right. We got, we got one more kind of get to know you question. It's what is your hottest energy take? <laughs> I don't know. I don't. What do you mean? Do you even know? What like that a means? hot yeah. take, like a, a hot, like you know, a, hot, like a spicy opinion, spicy like oh. opinion that like you maybe don't want to say on a podcast to the public, but we're asking you to. Mm. Um, I don't know. I I don't think I have anything too spicy. I think like a a topic I talk about a lot is like again, this is kind of new. My world is a little bit different, probably from most of the people you talk to, but. Um, one thing that's kind of frustrating about the energy access space that I work in is that um, there's this idea that like mini grids and distributed energy projects that are supplementing the grid are supposed to be like totally commercially viable um, and you should like be able to make a ton of money off of them. But like that has never, whenever rural areas of even the developed world have been electrified, it's never been without subsidies um, and it hasn't been like a commercial endeavor. And so uh, we really need to be clear about like, hey, yes, we want to like create businesses out of this, but we also need really great like government paradigms and schemes that are going to, you know, subsidize these assets and get places powered that 
that don't have power. Maybe. And I guess the other hot take too is like everyone talks yeah. about the sustainable development goal, um, trying to achieve global energy access by 2030. And it's like, that is, that is not very far away and we are not going to hit that goal. Um, mm. sadly, but I think, I think that, yeah, that first point's so interesting, right? E- even in the U S right. The rural electrification mm-hmm. act, that was basically yep. just let's pump federal money and build out a grid and give people power. Not economic, right? I mean, that's the whole thing is like the way that the grid is designed is not economic to like serve the people at the last mile. Exactly. Right. In yeah. like rural areas. Mm-hmm. And so why would we expect it to be different in other countries? Well, and, and yeah. the grid, like it's not economic. So the grid isn't being built there. But then there's this sort of double standard that, oh, well, if you're going to build a mini grid yeah. there, it should be economic. And um, exactly. you know, you're bringing power to the, some of the lowest income communities in the world. Like it's not going to, you know, doesn't need to be economic. Um, but there's ways well, to subsidize it so that you still can have commercial investment come in. Um, and the unit economics makes sense as long as there's a subsidy that you can really rely on in the way that, you know, other industries or even other energy industries have been, um, sort of stimulated in other countries. Right. And, and is it fair to say it can be economic, like relative to the alternative, Right. Which exactly. is for a given amount of subsidy, if we just like build a bunch of wires that maybe hook people up, maybe don't versus build mini grids like what how, what takes that subsidy further. Right. And there I think you can probably make a pretty strong economic argument. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, then what are I mean, it, it, compared to like, I don't know how much you know about the Rural Electrification Act, but like where sort of emerging markets are today, what. I'm actually, I'm, I'm skipping ahead a little bit here, but we're going to come back to Odyssey in a second. But, you know, there's this, there's sort of this story told, and I, I talked to you about this when we, when we chatted on the phone, but of like the landlines being leapfrogged by mobile sort of, you know, a lot of countries hadn't even put landlines in place. And then so, you know, cell phones leapfrogged that because it was like a better technology. And, and when you look at sort of emerging markets today, they're sort of, you know, the traditional like tech thinking would be like, what's the pain point we can address? And like, what's a product we can build towards that and sell to people? So when you say like uneconomic, it's like, it's almost like a customer's willingness to pay. So do you, do you see like, is it that the base case in these countries are, is sufficient? Cause you don't need a power grid. Like humans lived a really long time without power grids, but obviously it's better to have one. Um, but, or is it like the, the capital being deployed doesn't have a long enough time horizon to consider it sort of economic, like it's not a 50 year deal, it's a 10 year deal or something. And that's, that's the return threshold that they're looking for. So I don't know when, like, it, it is weird to call it uneconomic because it, it's literally like two different lifestyles in a way, but I don't know. I'm wondering like what the base case scenario looks like there. And if, when you go to play a mini grid, like if there's a, a pain point being addressed or if it's just like, Hey, we're going to re- elevate, you know, the, the life that's being lived here. And, and, um, what is like the ultimate driver of that? Yeah. I mean, is it just the government saying we want to do this and we're going to do it or, or, you know, is it, is it bottoms up and, and sort of different than what the rural Ele- electrification act was like? No, I mean, I think it's the same concept. Like there's, um, it's not really acceptable to not bring power to these places and have high quality power, right? Like no one's like, no, no one's like, we're not going to, we're not going to promote economic development. And you literally, you, you cannot have economic development in, in countries without power, right? It's just the, it's like the, the lifeblood, it's the food. I mean, you can't run any sort of, you can't do any economic activities without power. Um, and so I'm getting a little bit off, off track here, but like, I think that's, 
from, you know, I think that's one of the biggest shifts that, that we've seen in, in the energy access sector um, is like this realization of, okay, it's great to give people like lights and a way to charge your cell phone. But what we really need to do is give grid like, you know, high quality power to run machines and, you know, um, power agricultural activities right. and kind of everything that is going to right. um, support these communities. So just to like hone in on a bit more, it's almost like you're saying, I don't know, it's a bit of a chicken or the egg, like uneconomic would mean the current economic activity, like where a mini grid is being built is not sufficient to actually pay for that infrastructure. However, like once machines are like, once that grid is built, machines can be built, economic activity can happen. And then now actually like that is now a self-sustaining system. So it's not like a, a, a never ever ending subsidy that has to go into paying for the infrastructure. There's just like an initial sort of barrier to entry that has to be leaped, you know, needs to be jumped. And you can't do that by building like the machines and the power grid at the same time. You need like that well, initial subsidy to come in. Well, is that the same thing is happening with EV infrastructure in the U.S. right now, right? Like people are like, no one's buying EVs because there's not a way to charge them. The developers, like EV charging companies can't earn money building charging stations if there's no one charging. And so it's like, right. what if we subsidize the building of it? And then people will if like, you build it, they EVs. will come. Yeah, right. If you build it, they will come, <laughs> yeah. right? And so it's like, yeah, it seems like a very similar concept of like that jumpstart. I think what we're talking about is power infrastructure generates positive externalities. Right. right. Mm -hmm. So like the first customer's willingness to pay is just going to reflect, okay, I can, you know, have a better quality of life, but multiplied across a million people, it means the ability for industry, for education, et cetera. But like no single user is considering like <laughs> the societal impact. Right. So the willingness to pay is very low relative to the benefits that could be generated in an unelectrified otherwise area. So I think like that's the reason for the subsidy. It is economic to subsidize these things. Right. It just right. requires zooming out. Yeah. I mean, when I say non-economic, I, I basically mean like we, we need traditional like project finance to be financing yeah. these assets. They're infrastructure assets. And project finance has a very particular like risk benefit, you know, has like returns that need to be 15, you know, the, the, the asset needs to be 15, you know, for the lifetime of 15 years and let's say like mid teens returns. Like just, the, yeah. The, and, and I think like the, the level of risk associated with these assets is very different than the level of risk associated with like a bridge or something, you know? Um, and the big risk is, yeah. How long does it take to get to that place where like everyone hasn't, has the ability to pay for power is using enough power to, optimize the system, um, how long does, especially with pay-as-you-go systems, because that, that's where your revenues come from, right? It's just how much power are people using? Are they going to pay for power consistently the same amount each month? And like, you know, that there haven't been enough of these mini grids built to have like clear answers yeah. on how long does it take to, you know, bring, to, to build up that sort of what we call productive uses. So like the, the uses of energy that are machines and sort of the higher powering consumers like how long does it take for that to really yeah. come into the community start using the power um because it is like if you're just powering households 
it's a much harder like uh, right. economic profile of the project, Despite, even just kind of like from a technical perspective, because all those households are turning their power on at night. Um, yeah. And so you're not fully yeah, utilizing the solar system. The, the, the classic Sammy Insole yeah. problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but it is interesting. I mean, it, 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 sorry for getting like hung up on this, but I do think it's a good segue into what Odyssey does is like, I was trying to build an analog with like, uh, you know, and there will be blood where like Daniel, Daniel Plainview's talking about like the schools that are going to come and the infrastructure, like because they yeah. go and build it, an oil derrick there. But that is actually being shipped out to like other markets, like via a pipeline or shipped out or something like that. And it's actually just the wages from that industry stimulating that local economy. Power is like, and I've, I've been talking about this a lot, is like, it's a much more like local kind of deglobalizing force in that like the infrastructure to ship it is extremely expensive. So you actually need like the off takers of that sort of, you could think of it as like a mind, like, you know, yeah. you go and you find a silver mine, but you'd send the silver mine away. But like in this case, the mine is like a solar panel or a mini grid you're plopping down and you actually need concurrently like the industry to be there. And it's like extremely hard to, or, or, or impossible to build like industry, homes, education, everything. And like, as basically a power developer, like that's kind of a ridiculous ask. Like if you want to actually go in, <laughs> it is, I mean, and it's, <laughs> so. it's amazing. Like, yeah, project developers, there's this whole concept of productive use, um, stimulation or demand stimulation where project developers are expected to both be like asset developers and like doing consumer finance to bring right. like refrigerators into right. the community. And then also yeah. like these long, these big, the loans for like, um, I don't know, milling or grinding equipment it's just yeah. a lot to ask of like one company you know right. um well, just, i mean revel back to colleen's example you know they're doing they're doing the driver network and the charging at the same mm -hmm. time because like they need they need to like try and stimulate that usage of their own their own capital deployment and it's like that's like a much smaller scale than you're even than you're talking about and it's it's already very hard um, yeah. Although there there are some really cool models like um, what we call anchor clients, so building mini grids. So we've got these projects in Ethiopia right now yeah. that I'm super psyched about, where it's um it's a it's a microgrid built next to your like an irrigation pump, and so you've got the irrigation pump running during the day as an anchor client for the microgrid, and then you extend the the grid to the neighboring communities so they have power as well. Um, so in that way, you already kind of have that built in sort mm -hmm. of consumption, right. but um, but yeah, we're, 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 we're really like, we're, we're just setting up these projects now and we'll be monitoring like every little piece of it, like the, how much water is pumped during the day and how does that correlate with how the energy is being used? And I think we'll like, hopefully just get really good data on how to rinse and repeat that. That is so cool. So b before we get into Odyssey specifically, I want to just come back around to this like energy access question. <laughs> I remember... I remember in, I don't know, maybe a decade ago, there being this big fight between the, like, we're going to give you a little solar panel and a light bulb people. And then like the breakthrough Institute being like, we need to just build out the grid, lay down some nukes, like anything less than is, is insulting. Right. And the retort was always like, yeah, but that's not happening. Like we are, you're describing a fictional alternative. Like people have been promising that for a long time. So like the light bulbs are good. It sounds like where mini grids are today as like solar and batteries getting cheaper and controls and payment and everything is kind of like rejecting that binary and just saying like there's a whole spectrum in between of like really high quality services we can actually deliver now that are more similar to the quote big grid insofar as like quality of service but still take the kind of yeah less centralized approach of the 
the solar light bulbs thing, right? That's so cool. It just like completely neutralizes that argument. Do, do, am I summarizing that kind of like landscape of, uh, of rhetoric well? And like, have, are you seeing that play out? I mean, yes and no. So um, the there certainly is sort of this, this debate or this conversation that like solar home systems are great, but not the answer, right? Not the final answer um, because they can only power so much. And, um, but, but I think like there's actually a version of that debate also happening with the grid and mini grids where there's, you know, proponents saying like, Hey, let's just totally strengthen the grid and invest in massive um, grid expansion and generation capacity on the grid to meet this need. And then there's others that are like, well, no, like let's do it all decentralized. The answer, it's just messy. It's in between. Like what the way I think about it is like, if someone needs power, let's look at whatever the lowest cost solution is to getting them power, reliable, high quality power. Yeah. Um, and we're seeing that in, in Nigeria um, because it used to be you either had a mini grid or you had the grid. And now there's this concept that's the, of um, interconnected mini grids where the distribution company, like the, the utility will say to a mini grid company, like, hey, it's cool if you build a mini grid in my territory because I'm not, you know, it's cheaper and easier for you to connect these customers than for me to do it. And then you can interconnect with my grid. You can, we, maybe we sell power back and forth. And it's actually, uh, there's a lot of things that are great about it because you're, that means you're also building a mini grid in a more dense area, which helps with the unit economics mm -hmm. on the mini grid. Um, you're providing access to power to people that aren't getting great power from the grid. Um, and it's, yeah, but you know, obviously you can imagine it's a pretty complex relationship. You've got to make sure that yeah. the distribution company is on board um, and working with the mini grid company. But I think we're just going to see more of that, right? Like it, the distinction between like grid on grid and off grid is going to get more and more great that's so cool yeah, i'm so yeah i was like that's like my dream of like how the u.s grid would work and i feel like that complication of like the commercial terms and how you like deal with that is is so interesting so i would like love to hear more about how that's been working it's so funny because that's it's like me as well but it always seems like colleen and i come at that from very very different directions but uh actually like very aligned on that being sort of a like an ideal sort of endpoint in a way yeah. Fr friend of the pod kyle barenko refers to the like interconnected mini grids to connected via distribution grid thing as the uh, what does he say the bigfoot of durs everyone talks about it but no one's ever found it and it <laughs> sounds like funny. it sounds like that's actually emerging and in places in, where in basically Nigeria. it's required. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. There's a, just a plug, like the Rocky mountain Institute, um, it's just right down the street from us in Boulder and they've been doing a lot of work in this, um, and put out a, like a really great report that folks should check out. Cause it's, it's really interesting model. Awesome. So the, I think this is like, this really is at the crux of what, what I wanted to get into at least is like what, you know, if, if that's Bigfoot, like you're already seeing it. So what, what can we learn and like bring back to the U.S. potentially is a, is a way of framing it. But it is kind of this big gnarly conversation that we could take in a lot of different directions. So I almost feel like maybe the best way in is winding back to Odyssey. And it seems like you guys are out there deploying mini grids. So I'd love to hear you kind of, you know, describe exactly what it is you guys do, like the role you play in that. And then maybe once we've kind of established how that whole process works, we can look at like, how are these getting interconnected and what does that mean for the grid or what, what have you? But mm -hmm. maybe, maybe it is a good way to just, to just actually finally talk about what Odyssey does, which yeah. is what we're, we're kind of burying the lead here, but yeah, we'd, we'd love to start there. Yeah. Um, so just a clarification, we are not, we are not ourselves deploying mini grids. Um, 
And the reason I say that is because like the project developers that are deploying mini grids are like the true heroes of the story. Like they're doing by far the hardest work, um, going into finding locations, going into the communities, getting buy-in from the local government officials, going door to door surveys, asking them like how, what, what equipment they have. So yeah, I try to make sure we shouldn't get, they're, they're doing the, the real, the real hard work. Um, and our job as a platform is to basically support them and help them to scale. Um, so we focus on two, two sectors of distributed renewables. There's, um, mini grids, which is kind of where my heart is and where my background is, but then there's the CNI solar, commercial industrial solar spaces, uh, bigger in, in Africa than, than mini grids, um, as you can imagine, because there's a whole, you know, range of off takers for, um, single off taker systems versus, you know, mm-hmm. um, community mini grids. But those are, those are the sort of two general categories of, you guys say DERS, we call them DREs, Distributed Renewable Energy Projects. Um, Uh-oh. Strange. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if there's a difference. I, yeah, I don't know. We always say DRE. Um, but but yeah, so, and so what we, the um, kind of the, the thought behind Odyssey is that most of the market, most of the projects are being developed by small and medium companies. Um, that we want to support, like we want to make, we want to streamline parts of the project development process as much as possible so that they can really focus on like that on the ground hard stuff. And so we think about that in terms of the three major phases of developing projects, financing projects, going out and like procuring equipment and building them and then operating them. Um, And so what we built was a platform to support small and medium project developers in those three phases. Um, so I could, yeah, I can talk more about what we do for each of those, but that's the, the general concept behind Odyssey. Something so cool about that is like, there's some other folks, probably not for developing markets, but if, who have tried to be the kind of like project development platform, but have taken the approach of like, they're going to originate the opportunities and then the rest of the value chain gets involved. And I've always been so skeptical of that because anyone who's developed projects knows it's a ground game. Like it's a long tail. And the first time I heard about Odyssey, I was so excited because it's the first example of someone trying to do this that recognizes that and says, no, we serve the long tail of developers. They originate the projects. It's just awesome. Like it's so right on. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, and especially in Africa, like there's a handful of really big project developers for CNI Solar, um, but literally just a handful. And then there's so many... Yeah, I mean, long, long tail, I guess, is the right word. There's so many medium and, and small project developers that, like, if we can help them all scale, like, that's the way that we're going to, that's the way that we're going to really get this market to meet its potential. And become a really big business. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did. Well, there's, I think there's two putting kind of like the, we, we talked about this a bit, Emily, but I honestly, it's, it's funny because I experienced this as a solar installer. And I may honestly have their story wrong, but this is how I remember it is Sonova would um, provide a sort of um, uh, two like long tail solar developers or installers like us. We were at this like small shop in Austin, Texas, and we'd get cheaper parts from them, like end phase parts through the volume because they were providing that to other installers. So we could buy, basically we were buying bulk, even though we were, we had very small volume. If we went straight to end phase, like we wouldn't get that or, or, you know, whatever it was. And like the, the catch was like, we had to use their financing package. And it, that's like two pillars of what sort of you guys are doing, it sounds like. But then the third, which is I find really fascinating, which is almost like, a, you know, you could say like a David energy layer in there, which is like, 
you're doing the actual optimization and data coming off that product project itself. And I wonder the extent to which like kind of the, the true moat to the business is, is there eventually in that when you think of these like anchor tenant projects and like making the unit economics work, like what you'll learn from like a variety of like, what is the ultimate like best capacity factor for like various setups across all these types of mini grids, like you guys will have the most visibility into that. Like, is yeah. that sort of an act? Like, are you vibing with how I've described your business or like, do you have, do you have like other perspectives on it? Is there a pillar that of those three that you like the most or think is the most important or yeah, I'd be curious to hear how you, how you think about it. Yeah. Well, I would just reframe one thing you said. Um, it's not that you have to use the Sonova's financing right, package. You right, get to, right. that's like the way, because right. the way we think about, especially our procurement business. So let me back up and just kind of describe what we do, like those three pillars first, and then I can, um, on the finance side, it's all about streamlining access to these project developers to international market uh, capital markets. Um, and we, it's all types of finance. I mean, we run subsidy programs on the platform. We have, you know, international banks providing debt to these projects. We've got, um, a couple funds that are doing renewable energy credits, like any type of capital that these projects can get, like our job is to make it easy to get it, to get that to project, to, yeah, our job is to like sort of streamline the access to the um, from the capital to the project developers, and the way we do it is um, a just having this massive network of project developers on the platform, having a ton of data about their projects, um, and then standardizing the way that those projects are prepared into portfolios because you've got a you're you've got to invest in a portfolio of assets since each individual asset small. Um, so I can talk more about that in a bit, but that's sort of what we do on the finance side, and then um, on the procurement side we already have this network of project developers on the platform. So it's easy for us to aggregate them, aggregate their equipment orders, um, and then do exactly what you described Sonova was doing, like be a bigger buyer um, and give them access to lower lower costs, you know, economies of scale with logistics and... Um, better delivery times. <laughs> yeah, better terms. Yeah, yeah that's, that's the goal. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then finally, the last piece of the puzzle that operate is once you have your projects operating, we have this full remote management and control technology where you install our, hard our hardware, our controller into the system. It speaks to all the different components of the generation system, pulls that data in. You can monitor your assets. You can troubleshoot if something goes wrong, get alerts. And then you can also like remotely control and optimize the assets. Um, so that's what we do from sort of the big picture. Um, on the... Uh, just a just kind of similar note to how you're describing Snowball, we have we we bundle equipment finance with our procurement because access to working capital is also a challenge in these markets. And so we're kind of like solving two challenges like, hey, we'll go buy this equipment for you and then you can repay us in um, right. a year or two. Oh. So it's like working capital, not owning the project. You're sort of de facto like construction finance mm -hmm. in a way. Yeah. 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 So that's cool. Mm. Um, yeah. So we help sort of facilitate. And and it's nice because then the 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 folks providing the capital for construction finance have so full transparency over what's happening with their money because we're actually the ones that are going and making the purchase mm -hmm. and they can watch you know everything that's happening with the vendors and um, so yeah we we tightly kind of link that that capital piece with the with the procurement at least on the construction so, finance side. So that's in addition to like a project finance like kind of marketplace where they can come and actually own the final project too, not just sort of facilitate the, the install, I guess. Yeah. The so there, yeah, we have different types of capital on the platform. One of those types right. is equipment finance. Um, 
for and that and that part's linked to our procurement platform. There's also like you know project finance. Um, and -hmm. sometimes that's linked to procurement as well. Well, they'll say like, okay, we're going to like finance this project, but we want you to use the procurement platform so that we have full visibility into use of funds and know that, you know, you're getting the best pricing and all that. One thing I'm curious about, this might be a little bit of a tangent, but like when you think about when you have a, when you have a platform like this, like where do you serve horizontally versus vertically? Right. Like it sounds like most of the things you're doing kind of horizontally, right? Where you're just the platform and then everybody can participate. Right. Um, one thing though, I've often thought a business like this can like uniquely serve and therefore vertically would make sense is development capital, right? Like, and this is kind of like uh, square, like the credit card readers, they, they offer like small business loans now. Why? Because they have all your transaction data. They know better than anyone how much right. business you're doing. If you're a project developer on Odyssey, like getting originating projects, like getting EPCs through Odyssey, getting financiers through Odyssey on like there's like a certain, you know, turnover associated with that. Odyssey has like really propriety, proprietary information there about that business's productivity. And one of the hardest forms of capital to get as a project developer is like development stage capital, like pre-construction, just like I got to do stuff to like originate this opportunity. I got to talk interconnection like this and that, just like run around, send a guy over there. Um, you'd be really uniquely situated to offer that. I'm not saying right now, but maybe, you know, like that's, that's like a hard problem to solve because no one really knows if you give some guy a hundred grand, if he's like actually going to go, go do deals. Yes. It's definitely something on our radar. I mean, I think we're always wondering how involved with the development of these projects we want to be or should be, you know, we don't own any of the projects on our platform. We are purely a tech kind of layer to support project developers, but you can imagine a world in which we're contributing equity to these projects. We're, um, yeah, we're, we're taking a more active role in developing them or financing them. And we have a lot of tools on the platform for developing projects. So we have a whole suite of, um, what we call planning tools for mini grids that are like, we have a mobile app that you take out into the field and you survey customers. Then we can process that data to build demand profiles for the site. And then we plug into Homer, which is like the main um, system optimization algorithm. So you can then directly from that, that field survey, like design your system and figure out the capex of the co- the project. And then that feeds directly into a financial model that'll tell you, you know, um, what the returns of the project will be. So like we do all that using technology and I, and, and then we, we have a sort of, as you can imagine, as often happens, like a services arm where we get asked like, Hey, we want to use your tech, but like, can you actually just do it for us and, and be a consultant and go develop this project for us? So we have a ton of expertise in that. So yeah, certainly kind of on our radar that, that there's uh, an interesting role we could play as a capital provider for, for sort of the early project development costs beyond just sort of providing our expertise. I mean, cool. it, so- it sounds like an, an, an just an incredible business to me. And I, I am curious, like a bit of your motivation behind it, like in embedded sort of in the when did you get dirt pilled question is like, what what is like the driver behind like wanting wanting to solve this problem? I mean, it sounds like you're building the business. I imagine like maybe each of these components existed or do exist, but not like they should all be working in unison. So I'd I'd love to hear you comment on that. Like, what is the alternative for these developers, if any at all? And also then, like, you know, are you, you call it DREs, not DERs. Like, are you, like, 
you know, are you coming from a sustainability angle primarily? Are you coming from like a getting more clean energy access? Is it a purely an energy access problem? Like, so you'd be happy to do all natural gas, like if, if you had to, or is it even like a, you know, a philosophical question of like seeing bottoms up grids be built or, or what have you, or, or sort of like community sovereignty or what, whatever, or is it some combination of all of those? Like, so yeah, I guess like the motivation of building the business and then also like kind of your personal driver behind that would be, would be really interesting to hear. Well, yeah, let me start with that one. Um, I think I'm drawn, I'm drawn to to this work because it's just like the opportunity is so massive and I feel like I get to, I, I just feel so lucky because I get it to It could like, be building a huge business too. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> so no, but I, I mean the opportunity like yeah. for emerging markets, like the energy right. infrastructure isn't there yet or it's not great. So it's very different right. from the US where like we have a pretty good grid and now we're trying to decarbonize it and we're integrating right. low carbon options into it. Like there's just this opportunity to build it like the right way from scratch, you know, and that, that's so right. exciting. And, and so, and I also There's just, like a problem to solve. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. and, and we don't, we don't have to like retroactively fix it. We can just do it from the right from the ground up. Um, also I just kind of feel like the cop out answer is just like, or not cop out, but like, I just feel really lucky because I get to like, think about all these, like try and solve all these problems at once. Like I'm not just working on climate solutions. I'm also working on economic development, which I'm super passionate about. Like, um, it just feels like such a win, you know, uh, that's, it's really hard work. And there's so many problems that we are tackling and trying to figure out and challenges of working in these markets. But it's like, at least I wake up every single day being like, I am working on some of the most important things, you know, that I could possibly spending, be spending my time on. Um, and then, you know, it's interesting, like we get asked all the question, we get asked the question a lot, like, why are you doing so much with your platform? Like, shouldn't you just do one of these things? Um, and we get pushed, you know, obviously like in, when I'm having investor conversations, they're like, okay, you're going to test a bunch of hypotheses. And then is there like a, a path in which you just choose one that's working out? Um, but it's so hard to like, let go of everything we're doing. Cause it's all so needed, you know, like, Mm-hmm. Um, and so interconnected. Yeah, yeah, so so interconnected. Like if we, to date, because we've been kind of rolling out the platform in pieces, we acquired the remote management and control technology about a year ago. Um, we launched our procurement platform last year. We were doing financing first. Like we've just sort of been building out the platform. So it's not like every project has this beautiful journey where it gets financed and then gets procured and then uses our, you know, some people are only using our operate technology. Some are just getting financing. But if we pull off like stitching it all together, like my dream is that it's just such an easier process for project developers, you know, like mm-hmm. start to finish, like you just got a lot of your problems solved for. Not all of them, because as I mentioned, like they're doing a lot of really hard work in addition to financing and procuring and, yeah. and remote management. doesn't knock on doors for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or figure out regulatory stuff yeah. or find customers, you know, that they're out sort of finding the off takers. But, um, but yeah, it's hard to let go of that dream of like, having everything just seamlessly kind of connect and have those synergies. Um, and I don't think we should, cause I think like, yeah, there's just, there's a lot of opportunity for these things to all fit together. Well, and it's like solving the perennial distributed energy problem, which is soft costs, right? Like the way I see, like you're basically increasing the velocity of a project developer, right? By making it much easier, connecting with the entire value chain at once, they can do more projects right and that's yeah velocity is the word i use all the time like that is our ultimate goal if we can if we can increase project velocity like we we've achieved our goal um and that's like everything right like every 
in the U.S. included, every distributed energy business, the big problem is like cost of customer acquisition, soft costs, like all this other stuff, which basically boils down to like it's hard and slow and you're doing small deals. And then at the same time, from like the decarbonization perspective, the big problem is project velocity, right? <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's not like, you know, getting some new widget or something. It's like getting it out there quickly. That's the, that's the biggest bottleneck. It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting from a climate perspective. So, so you know, I kind of came into this work from wanting to spend my career working on climate. I like, I mean, I've just my my parents were both in energy and climate careers. So, like, I've been thinking about this for oh, a long wait. time. <laughs> what did they do? Wait. Um, my dad. We love works, personal history. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm kind of like, um, I don't have one of those stories. It's like, and then I woke up one day and the air quality was bad and I realized I wanted to fix this. Like I, I've just been doing this since I was a baby because my, my mom worked for the EPA for 35 years or something. Um, and my dad worked at the, in the energy efficiency department of a utility. Wow. So I grew up like talking about. You're born and bred. Yeah. Wow. Um, What what was family dinner like? A lot of talk about like electricity grids. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. A lot of talk about heat pumps before heat pumps were, a thing. Ooh. Um, yeah. Wait, so does does your dad ever think this like distributed energy stuff is like small stakes? He's like, come on, big power plants, wires, rate based. No, like, no, he's he's a he's taking the dirt. <laughs> no, he was doing EE at a utility. Yeah. True, yeah, true, yeah. true, true, true. Doing... Yeah. That was like back when it was a slog. Yeah. I imagine. I imagine. I started off in energy efficiency, like consulting for utilities, um, like twelve years ago. So. Yeah, he was with um, That's National Grid near and dear to my in New heart. England. Okay, um, awesome. who was who was definitely sort of on the you know on the forefront of energy yeah. efficiency interventions, but yeah, for sure. But yeah, so so and then I did like environmental studies in undergrad, and so I've sort of been like on on this path for a while. But you know what's interesting, like thinking about what I do now from a climate perspective, is there's definitely a climate impact in the fact that we're replacing diesel generators, um, and that'll keep happening as the cost of batteries come down. Like you know, more and more diesel generators that are just backing up the grid or will be replaced by um, solar plus storage. But then the the other impact is actually just the counterfactual, right? Like, okay, if we don't electrify this way, the alternative is you know potentially a fossil fuel intensive grid um, or building out mm-hmm. more fossil fuel intensive um, capacity on the grid. So um, yeah, it's a little bit, you know, it's um, it can, we, we often get like asked to quantify our greenhouse gas emissions of our work. And like, it's definitely a sort of thought exercise because um, we're bringing power where there isn't any in a lot of, t- a lot of places. Yeah. And so it's not like we're, right. I mean, we're displacing like kerosene lights. That's, that's one way that we can kind of calculate a, yeah right but it goes back to the site right i think it goes back to something we talk about a lot which is like energy abundance and like the need for like thinking about the energy future isn't like how do we get people to use less and say like oh you don't have energy now and like we're we're tapped out sorry like yeah exactly um and so yeah i think right like emission reduction counterfactual is like a good thing but it's also just kind of like well like people deserve power and like we're doing it the right way. Yeah. Well, probably so. the fair counterfactual would be like, how many megawatt hours per year are we generating? What if all of that was diesel? Not just what was diesel before, but what if all of it right. was? Yeah. Because we're talking about something that didn't exist any otherwise. Right. Yeah. Well, and you know, there's right. projections of um, green, you know, I, I can't remember the exact number, but the lion's share of greenhouse gas emissions growth 
in coming years will be from emerging markets. And so it's like, what can we do to shift that curve? Like we want, we want energy growth. Like we want more, more megawatt hours being, you know, produced and consumed in these countries. But like, how can we reduce the, the greenhouse uh, gas emissions growth with that? Well, I, I mean, it is something we definitely feel like it's not a cop-out answer. You're basically, it's like, it's not an or, it's an and. Like you can do, you can have resilience, you can have clean, you can have abundance, like you can have a better lifestyle, whatever. And and that's certainly something that we like very much kind of beat the drum on. So I don't, I thought that was a great answer. Not, not a cop-out at all for what it's worth. Are people talking about V to G in these places, right? Like is... Like, are people getting electric cars? I guess, forget V to G. Probably people, like mopeds. Yeah, yeah. Like electric vehicles and like heat pumps and stuff. Like it's it's another thing, just uh, I guess another like leapfrogging potential here, right? Like there's no gas grid, right? So your amenities are perhaps all going to be electric. Otherwise, maybe delivered liquid fuels. Like, is that part of the conversation? Like electrification as we refer to it in the US? Yeah, totally. I mean, EVs are... Um yeah, electric bikes. Is there's a bunch of companies that are starting to scale. I have a friend that just started a um, electric bus company in in Nairobi. Like, yeah, EVs are part of the equation. There's been some interesting experiments of like, can you can you optimize a mini grid by charging EVs on it during the day as sort of like one of those productive uses? I think like TBD, whether or not that that really works. Especially, I mean, if it is really awesome. It sounds super cool. Um, That's awesome. The but if you think about it, like most of these mini grids are in rural areas, and so it's like, are you going to have a um, concentration of EVs in a rural area to go charge during the day? But um, but yeah, t- like a lot of and and we think about the opportunity too in terms of like infrastructure is going to be distributed, right? Not just energy, like all types of infrastructure is is more and more distributed like vehicles, um, mm-hmm. water systems, obviously tel- telecom towers, and all of that needs, all of that has the same problems that we're solving with just distributed energy systems, like hard to finance portfolios of small assets, um, and needs really good remote management and control technology because you can't be sending someone out to each individual small site. Yeah. And so like there was a period of time in which we had our, our website for Odyssey was like uh, finance, build, and operate um, distributed infrastructure because it's so much more than just energy. Mm-hmm. Um, we changed it back cause we were, we got feedback that we were, people were confused about what we did, but, um, <laughs> I think actually, no, we still say like now it's clean energy infrastructure. Cause often there's still a clean energy power source, but it is, it's so much more than just the energy, yeah. right? It's, it's right. Yeah. 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 So going back to what we had talked about and it's, it, it is an interesting segue cause you, you guys are basically doing like the capacity factor math of like the new grid. And I do think there's something really interesting to like solar storage gas. I mean, that's what scale is doing and talking about like fractal grids and looking at Australia, like the big grid is like lots of solar and then gas fills the gap. And so I guess as like a lead into that discussion, going back to what we, what we had kind of brought up is like the mini grid starting to get interconnected. Like who owns that? Like, how is that happening? Is it like, buy like like deals between mini grids and there's like it's like a weird contract every time or is is there like a centralized sort of authority or grid that that is kind of help tying all these systems together and does that create like a, a really net you know benefit as far as like getting higher utilization out of all the systems and everything yeah well so just to be clear like i think interconnect to mini grids um 
is a growing field. It's, I've really only seen it in Nigeria so far. Um, the, the majority of mini grids are still totally off grid, but yeah, this, it's sort of a, a growing, um, opportunity. And, and we saw the government really kind of embrace that model just last year, because we, we run a, a um, a big government subsidy program on our platform in Nigeria called the Nigeria Electrification Project, which is African Development Bank and World Bank funded program um, where the government of Nigeria will give a subsidy to every connection that's achieved, mm. like every individual household or business that gets power from a mini grid or a solar home system, they get a subsidy from the government. So it's a really cool program. Um, and they use our technology to basically make, make that all possible because they're literally needing to track like millions and millions of connections that are made and va validate those. And, um, and I think it was last year that they opened up that program. It was originally just for totally off-grid. And then they opened it up to interconnected mini-grids because they wanted to incentivize mm. this new model that was sort of starting to make a lot of sense. Um, so this, it's not like, yeah, there isn't quite, there isn't like a full framework around it yet. It's sort of individual distribution companies making mm -hmm. agreements with individual microgrid developer, mini-grid developers, like, hey, well, you know. It's like kind of bilateral, mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Um, interesting but yeah cool. some so I, I have a question actually yeah. for colleen when i when i see a really cool future grid and i do think you know friend of the pod kyle is also kind of you know he's writing this article on it right now i was like when you talk about a fractal grid like you have a mini grid that's solar storage natural gas and then that's connected to maybe other mini grids but then there's like the the wholesale market and that could be like community solar so not like home level, but still like pretty distribution grid level right now. That's now solar and storage. I don't know if there's like any reason to add gas in there. There's a recent conversation on Twitter about like islanding yeah, closers, yeah. distribution grids, not just like one, one meter. Yeah, exactly. And, and then going to, you know, wind is usually larger scale. There's a lot of efficiencies there. So maybe at the wholesale level, you have like wind as well, but also still solar storage and gas peakers essentially. And so like, this idea that what the grid looks like at the home level, at the mini grid level, at the community level is actually kind of what it looks like at the wholesale level. And it's just like smaller versions of it, like self-similar all the way down. Um, I find that like a very fascinating, like if you look at scale, what scale microgrids is doing, and then you look at Texas, which is solar, wind and gas, bulk power, you know, you see this kind of what's happening on the grid edge and the bulk grid are very similar in like, not in scale, but in how it looks. I find that could, that could be something that develops in the U.S. So, like, I think it's a two-part question as a bunch of these events. But, like, one, do you see that sort of potentially happening in some of these emerging markets? And do you think there's something to learn, you know, actually bring back to the U.S.? Or, like, is it possible that it still happens in the U.S.? It's just, like, a much slower-moving process. Or is that even something to be desired, I guess? So I feel like you started off asking me that question and then it, and then it became an Emily question. It started with <laughs> Colleen and, and it switched to oh. Emily. But do you like that vision of the grid? Are we aligned on that or no, did I, think, I kind well, of miss it? You know, so are I, we, are we still not? I think uh, we're aligned. I think if we started getting into like the details of like who owns what and like how it's organized, like we'd probably start <laughs> details diverging. But no, I, I think about it a lot. Like, I don't think yeah. necessarily everywhere, but in places that are like hard hit by storm, I think in the U.S. in places that are hard hit by storms a lot, it like makes sense to think about like how you can disconnect and power distribution. Right. Sections of the distribution grid, like networks independently. 
I think it gets into a lot of the questions around like, we don't have pay as you go type meters. And so it's like, how do you, like how you manage that? The commercial side to me feels a lot harder than the technical side in the U S and I'd actually be really curious, Emily, like, I know you guys aren't doing the development yourselves, but like how that, how you've seen that play out for people there, like maybe pay as you go makes it simpler. But I, I always have this question of like, how do you manage, how do you manage load? What do you do if like people are using too much energy, but maybe they're willing to pay for it and there's like not enough to go around, like who decides kind of who's getting that? Do you throttle people? Cause I remember hearing about some grids in Puerto Rico where they were like, yeah, like someone's using more power than we want. We just kind of like shut them off and then they get a little notice on their meter. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's part of uh, what our, our software does. Um, so we, we create these, these, these what we call logic loops or these if then statements. So it's like, if your battery is really low, like you need to, you know, maybe turn off these non-critical loads. Like that's definitely a piece and, and, um, and the more you can kind of automate that so that you're not manually needing to make those decisions. I will say um, that's kind of like a nice problem to have. The bigger challenge with mini grids is um, getting to the place where you are fully utilizing your grid um, and, and having enough power. So historically, in the early days of mini grid development, um, companies oversized the grids and ended up like, yeah, just, just building too big systems for the amount of power that, you know, um, customers ended up using even you know for the first five years like it gradually increased but then sort of like tapered off and they had all this extra capacity um so yeah the, in terms of like the business model the hardest and most important thing is um is sizing the system or um making sure you have a modular system so if you start off small you can like add to it as demand increases very cool. Yeah. So <laughs> there's so much to it. Yeah. I'm interested in, do, is there, so we, we have to get into our kind of like closing stuff soon, but is there, I've heard that like some of this stuff is starting to happen in Puerto Rico. There's a few companies kind of working on this, like anchor tenant utilization, commercial off taker, like thing. It's, it seems like quite the puzzle is, does Odyssey have any future role in Puerto Rico? Yeah, yeah. I mean, a, a bunch of island islands are like great microgrid um, ecosystems. We do mm. more work in Haiti. We do a lot of work in Haiti. Um, we've got a couple of different financing facilities there that you know we're supporting to to help project developers get projects built. But um, yeah, we we certainly have had um, some really interesting conversations, at least about Puerto Rico, and it's kind of on cool. our radar. Um, cool, cool. So. I'm I'm gonna modify this one slightly because we're not because we're in a global focus. <laughs> so we normally ask, yeah, right. um, or you know, you're the energy czar of America, like, and you can enact one policy. What policy would it be? But I'm gonna say, like, pick it could oh. be America, or you can pick whatever yeah. country you want. <laughs> yeah, the world. I would say the world. Your energies are of the world. What would you yeah, I, I know exactly thing? what I would do. I would set up a um, I would set up a global facility for emerging markets with very clear, straightforward, systematic subsidies for distributed renewable energy development, um, all executed through our platform so that you have technology to track exactly where the money's going and that it's achieving the end goal. So basically what we're doing in Nigeria and in the, that's that's completely the answer to catalyze this market. I love that. 
I love that it was both like yeah and I mean come on <laughs> fixing the problem and also you being like and now my company is amazing I do a little plug there but yeah no I mean um, I also let you, you like I decided I was the global sorry you like ants you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. It's great. It's the best. Well, I was just going to ask, so are you, are you implying the current source of funding out there is is not systematic and easy to navigate and transparent? Yeah, it's just early days. Like it's Nigeria is proving it out. This other facility that, that is Pan-Africa um, that I mentioned, Universal Energy Facility is like proving it out, but we just need like billions of dollars of more going into this and it needs to be totally global or at least in emerging markets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. And then our final our final section is called Dope or Nope. So you're going to tell us if you think this oh gosh. thing is dope or nope. Or it's going to rattle off a bunch. You can say you can give you can give context. You can also give no context up to you. Um, germs, distributed energy resource management systems. Definitely dope. Don't even know. If- <laughs> I don't even know if that exists. Is in that your even? World. Well, is that even yeah, a term? Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> yeah. the way the correlation of it, what is in my world, definitely dope. I mean, that's basic. Yeah, I was like, I think so. I mean, Odyssey if I'm interpreting then? it right, we yeah, yeah, we have software to remotely manage and control distributed renewable energy assets. Right. So very dope. <laughs> There's no utility to like sell to though. So, in certain yeah. circumstances, um, utility franchise rights. I don't even know what that is. Like mon- utility monopoly, right? Utility oh. monopolies. No. Like, like, not in our world, yeah. They, they have the exclusive right that's, to build yeah, I was like, that's, infrastructure okay, that's in a, nope. a given territory. Yeah, you're like, does it even exist? This is. I feel like this is an exercise nice. in like translation. Yeah. <laughs> um, s- small modular nuclear. Say that again. Small. So like replica, small modular nuclear. So like nuclear that's like. Not mega megawatts. Yeah. Or like 50 megawatts, like replicable. I guess I'd go with dope. I know nothing about nuclear, but it sounds, it sounds dope. Irrelevant. <laughs> it's small. I like small. It's small. It's yeah, many. I like small yeah. energy. So. I was going to say we should call it like cute modular nuclear or something <laughs> like that. Like that would be more fun. Or like small. Like. <laughs> Actually, I'd say very dope, just not from a technical perspective, but like from an Odyssey perspective, it's going to have the same problem of like, how do you finance a portfolio of these, which is what we're tackling. So how do you like deploy the stuff? All right. Any uh, small modular nuke people listening to the pod right now, go to Odyssey (laughs) for your Um, off-grid DREs. Yeah, very dope. (laughs) Most dope. (laughs) Like on-grid or off-grid more? Or sorry, is on-grid? On grid DREs also dope or no? Yes, also dope. But um, I I've spent most of my career in working off grid. Dopest, so. um, yeah. love it. You guys have any others you want to throw in there? Should we go to big shouts? Centralized power infrastructure. Also dope, like part of the puzzle for sure. Just not one that we're solving. I love it. It's it's uh, people. You know, there. It's like people are either like centralized HVDC maxis or like no. Emily, Emily's like us. She she comes. We're the former. Yeah. We're like you though. We're actually we're the DR task force. Yeah. We're like fuck yes. You know we need a grid too. Can't be know? all DERS all the time. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was like mm, no, no, maybe no. can maybe can amazing Emily. This has been great. So we always close out where we give big shouts to to anyone who were, you know, um, and so you just say yeah. big shouts to... It's like the biggest, yeah, the biggest, biggest shouts, shouts to, you. to you. 
because this business is amazing. We we love what you're doing. We're huge fans. Thanks. Um, also, big shouts to Rick. Yeah, Zulo. Rick gets a shout out. <laughs> Um, I did want to ask you about your fundraising process, but I know we're, we're, we're uh, the next pod, you know, I thought that'd be interesting to hear, but we next pod, we'll have you back okay. on. But, um, I'm gonna say big shouts to mini grids and mini grid yes. developers. Yes. Big shout it out. sounds like big, big shouts, shouts to, to Nigeria for bringing in some pretty pioneering models. Oh, wow. It's the same rural electric. It's like very parallel, right? Is there anyone at the Nigerian Rural Electrification Agency who's like particularly compelling we could talk um, to? Yes, for sure. Yeah. I have some names for you. Okay. Um, That'd be yeah. sick. Yeah. I'd love to learn and more. the original head, um, Dami Lola, is now the head of um, Sustainable Energy for All. Um, she's an incredible, mm. incredible force of life. And um, if you ever get a chance to talk to her, that'd be really special. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. You got any others? Uh, my team. Uh, <laughs> they do the really hard work. Uh, my chief business officer, Piyush Mother, who um, has been at this just as long as I, even longer than I have. Like he was CEO of a solar home system company in India um, that he sold to NG before joining Odyssey. So it's like my, he's my other half and he's 12 and a half hour difference in, in time zones. And so like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Utilize. Util- wow. Yeah, utilization factor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah, nice. Business never sleeps. Awesome. <laughs> and also Kathy Zoy, who is my original co-founder of Odyssey, who's um really, really incredible person, has done so much stuff for climate tech world, is now CEO of um, EVGO. Oh, wow. But cool. It certainly gave me the confidence to even like think about going in and doing this. So Awesome. We're literally right on the on the button here. So thank you so much. It was indeed. Well, Emily, All right. thanks. thanks so much. Bye-bye.